What's going on, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. Um, But until we make that day come, until we build to that point, I want to thank you for stopping by. I am your host, Josh, um, and we have a great episode lined up for you. Um, So this is an interview I did with Black Red Guard. Um, For those of you who don't know who that is, he is a YouTuber, a podcaster, and just an all-around also great writer um, who has, you know, kind of been making content for a while now. Um, Like I said, you can find him on YouTube. You can find his podcast at... um, Radio Free New Africa, Um, and you can also find a lot of his writings by just simply Googling Black Red Guard. Um, So without further ado, thanks for tuning in, folks, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Black Red Guard. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Wonderful, how you doing? Just about the same, my friend. So thankful to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. So, um, well, I'd like to do a few introductory questions, maybe for those who, you know, might be new to your content, might not have heard of you before. Um, so I'd like to ask you to maybe uh, introduce yourself to the folks and just kind of let them know what it is that you do, who you are. Yeah, I am uh, Black Red Guard. Uh, that's my pen name. Uh, I write quite a bit. Uh, some people say I write too much. I have a podcast, which is called um, Radio Free New Africa. And I am also chair of a revolutionary organization called For the People, St. Louis. So I do quite a bit. Yeah, I'd say you really do, my friend. That's awesome. Um, Again, so thankful to have you on here. Um, So you just did an episode with Dixieland of the Proletariat, which I'd like to plug because that was a really good episode. I really liked that. Um, And uh, in a lot of the episodes I've heard you in, like with Rev Left, you've gone into explaining uh kind of why it is that you're a maoist what is maoism um things like uh you know associated with maoism so would you mind just giving a a brief explanation as to why it is that you uh call yourself a maoist and maybe what it is that that means to you i don't just call myself a maoist i am a marxist Leninist maoist um and Maoism can only mean one thing. It means the liberation of all oppressed nationalities in the United States and the end of the insidious system of capitalism and imperialism that we all live under and the dawn of a glorious communist future, which I believe that both you and I want. And Maoism is the best ideology and system of practices and, um, and philosophy to bring that about because it is the concentrated expression 
of 150 years of class struggle, both successes and failures, victories and defeats, uh, line errors, and the development of breakthroughs in line and breakthroughs in practice through, uh, through revolutionary warfare and through line struggle within uh, communist parties. <coughs> and what particularly uh, intrigued me as a new African or black in layman's terms uh, about Maoism is that uh, Mao Zedong thought was instrumental in the formation of the Black Panther Party. Now, it was not the only influence. It would be incorrect to call the Black Panther Party a Maoist party or even a Mao Zedong thought party. Maoism was just one of the influences. And when I say Maoism, in the context of the late 60s, I mean the anti-revisionist uh, Marxism-Leninism that was applied to concrete Chinese conditions and was known by the term Mao Zedong thought. So that's what Maoism meant back then. Today is uh, was synthesized with the assistance of the Communist Party of Peru, which unfortunately uh, suffered what they call a bend in the road, uh, and what I, what most laymen would call a defeat with the capture of the, uh, Abel Guzman, also known as uh, Chairman Gonzalo in 1992. Um, speaking of Gonzalo, he is uh, currently um, undergoing severe uh, health issues. I believe he has skin cancer, at least that's what the reactionary Peruvian state is saying that he has, but he has been the victim of uh, severe medical mismanagement and malfeasance. He's essentially being held in a prison cell below sea level on a heavily mined and heavily patrolled naval base in a suburb of Lima called Callao. And this is punishment for daring to uh, unhorse the emperor using, um, using Mao's uh, terms. Uh, and we should not let our critiques of some of the practices that, uh, that occurred during the halcyon days of the People's War in Peru, which lasted from 1980 uh, to to the late 90s, uh, we should let our critique of uh, some of the practices, some of the ultra-left deviations, if you will, uh, turn us into sectarians and stop us from offering all the support that we can to, uh, to Dr. Guzman in the, uh, in the current context. So that's essentially what Maoism means to me. That's where it came from, and it is essential that all revolutionaries in the United States, in Europe, in Africa, all over the world, seriously engage with Maoism and take it as, uh, as the guiding ideology as we set, set out to build uh, new revolutionary parties with the old faith. Very, very great explanation. Very well said, my friend. Um, I, uh, I myself... Um, would you know fall under that camp um and i uh i think what you said about it being the best way to fight capitalist imperialism here in the united states connects uh very greatly to kind of you know what most of us ha uh, should be thinking about should be strategizing for 
and also um, my first question. So kind of in the context of the reaction period from last year's extended demonstrations, which are uh, commonly referred to as like the Black Lives Matter movement, um, sitting in that time period now, um, what is it that you feel um, uh, A, we can learn from this experience and B, is the you know most overt struggle uh, for those of us here in the United States to begin um, working towards and organizing for? The, you ask, what is the main task that we in the United States as revolutionaries need to be struggling for and organizing for? Yes. Main task is that we have to struggle for the end of U.S. imperialism. U.S. imperialism, our Filipino comrades say, is the number one uh, terrorist in the world today. All 99% of the problems in the world today are due to the insidious and horrible influence of the United States. And the toppling of U.S. imperialism will be a great boon for the working class and exploited people all over the world. It is U.S. imperialism that has spent the past 20 years uh, trying to make Afghanistan its slave. It's U.S. imperialism, which has spent the past almost 70 years um, trying to destroy people's Cuba. It was U.S. imperialism that tried to isolate revolutionary China during the socialist period. U.S. imperialism that has bases all over Africa. It's U.S. imperialism that murdered Patrice Lumumba in the Congo. U.S. imperialism that is murdering my brothers and sisters, my, uh, my mothers and fathers, my aunts and uncles, my grandmothers and my grandfathers, all black people in the United States are condemned to prison or to a slow death through asthma, through heart disease, through diabetes, through overwork through constant breathing in of chemicals that are routed into our neighborhoods, through syphilis, through police violence. Every death of a black person in the United States in any way is directly attributable to U.S. imperialism. When a 90-year-old uh, great-grandmother dies peacefully in her bed, U.S. imperialism is at fault because U.S. imperialism forced her to work herself in a cotton field from the age of nine years old up. It denied her an opportunity to receive decent medical care. It sterilized her. It denied her the opportunity to receive an education. It denied her the right to vote and participate in this so-called democracy. So the utmost task for all revolutionaries in the United States is to organize, organize, organize every day Everybody with even a progressive thought in their head, we need to be talking to them about the necessity to conquer a better world. I say conquer because it's not going to be voted in. It's not going to be given to us. I'm black. Nothing has been given to black people in this country over the course of the past 500 years. We've been forced to live in this shithole against our will without bloody, vicious struggle. Everything we have somebody's blood paid for it, either ours, mostly ours, or the oppressors. 
nothing in this world is conceded without violence or the threat of violence. So that's what we need to prepare for. So you say, and you know, you make a great point to say that we need to organize, organize, organize. Um, and you say we need to be speaking to people. Um, what are some other ways that you yourself uh, and, and others before you have said that we should be working to organize? What are some helpful tips for those of us maybe making our way out into organizing for the first time? Well, first thing is you can't just come at people with Marxist jargon. Like I see a lot of... Uh... A lot of comrades, they just start out expecting, oh, just because somebody is, just because somebody is working class, they're going to automatically know everything that I'm talking about. No. Just because somebody knows that they are exploited, it doesn't necessarily mean that they know the cause of their exploitation or they're ready to take up arms against it. It's a process. Thomas Sankara said that we should never get tired of explaining tired of talking to the people. We should never get tired of demonstrating through practice what is in the people's best interests. Just Americans are very, they're simultaneously a very cynical, yet also a very gullible people. They believe these politicians uh, for the most part when they say that they're going to bring change, yet they're also cynical when another working class person tells them that, hey, this shit ain't gonna work. We have to build a better world. So we have to break that, uh, that veil that the ruling class has thrown over a lot of our class siblings' eyes. We have to do so by organizing the advanced, meaning people that, are, that know that this is fucked. It's unsustainable and are ready to do something about it, you see. So we have to organize the advanced. We have to win over the masses of the people who are there in the middle, the intermediate. The people that are like, okay, I'm going to go vote for Bernie Sanders. Those aren't class enemies, okay? Those are intermediate people. They still have some semblance of faith, however faint, in this country and its supposedly democratic institution. And I don't necessarily begrudge them that because we're taught this shit from an older comrade or class sibling. They grew up during the Cold War. They were taught that Russia was the devil. They were thought that Russians ate babies and uh, wanted to make everybody live in the same type of house and make everybody wear the same clothes, yada, yada, yada. So we're coming up against the older a person is, the more of this Yankee brainwashing they have. And like I said, Americans are cynical. They have to be shown. I'm from Missouri. They call us the show me state for a reason. So people have to practice how exactly communism is not going to fluff them over and make the same mistakes that revisionist experiments in the past did. Great points. Um, definitely uh, some more of the important points being the fact that like we can never tire of explaining. We can never get tired of going over these ideas because um, there was that little bit of discourse there on social media about this that so many people want to act like, oh, just go read this book or, you know, it's not my job to teach you. But it is uh, precisely our job. If we call ourselves communists and we want to actually see things change, then it is our duty to make things change. And one way to do that is by explaining these ideas uh, tirelessly to the people. Um, 
but there's there's a few other things that nets you know affect that and i think any of us are who you know think that all it's going to take is a few conversations here maybe a newspaper there um you know and, and a social media post somewhere in the middle that we're going <coughs> to make our way to um revolution um they have a lot of things that they aren't seeing um one of which uh being the mass ignorance of the people which has also kind of built itself up into a deep-seated individualism uh, which seems to be rampant across uh, all of the west but especially here in the united states empire um what is it that you think the connection between (coughs) that deep-seated individualism and kind of the apprehensions and disorganization uh, surrounding uh, socialism and other kinds of populist organizing here in the United States. Um, Just for context, maybe saying like, uh, you know, how do we as individuals and as organizers kind of combat the history and the difficulties of organizing that have been present in the United States? It's just a matter of uh, you got to maintain revolutionary optimism. You cannot. Uh, a lot of people uh, they become doomers. They want to take the nihilistic path. Uh, Huey P. Newton uh, he titled his uh, autobiography "Revolutionary Suicide," uh, and he contrasts revolutionary suicide, which is essentially giving your lives, giving your life to the masses with reactionary suicide, which is essentially, uh, it's not just killing yourself, but it's also uh, becoming an alcoholic, uh, becoming a drug addict, uh, becoming a pessimist, a nihilist. You are stripping yourself of anything that can be used for the revolution and you're letting capitalism turn you into a, uh, turn you into a bitter, a bitter human being that is actively destroying yourself through the consumption of, uh, of mind-altering substances that temporarily offer you a reprieve, but in the grand scheme of, thing, of things are, uh, are helping you kill yourself. So re- reactionary suicide is not just blowing your brains out or hanging yourself. It is anything which is counter to the revolution. It is anything which, uh, which harms yourself or which harms the people. Revolutionary suicide, on the other hand, is the act of boldness and daring in the service of the people. It is getting up at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, going to go work on a program that the people have said that they need. It is sitting in a sitting in a uh, working class mother's apartment and talking to her just because she needs somebody to talk to. That is what builds connections and ties to the people. Of course, you also have to struggle within your revolutionary formation to um, to develop correct line based on practice and our interpretation of those who have gone before us. But a lot of people seem to think that you can develop a correct line simply through arguing with other people on the internet or through simply reciting uh, uh, texts that are ripped up from their context but just uh, just so happen to agree with you. Uh, that's play. That is what we call dogmatism and book worship. You have to temper your understanding and reading and study of revolutionary theory with actual practice among the people. And you have to... (coughs) And theory is only developed how? Theory is developed to 
through the application of theory to practice. The formula is is practice, theory, practice, some more, and then summation of your campaign. If you fail to organize a housing uh, complex, say, uh, why did you fail? Uh, what theory did you try to apply, and why did the theory work, or why didn't it work? So it's just a matter of applying things, or sometimes you may have to go out blind. You have to fly by the seat of your pants, so to speak. Um, there is no ready-made formula that says, okay, if you do this uh, in this particular order and you do not deviate in any way, uh, this is you're going to be successful. Anybody that tries to tell you that is selling your snake oil. So it's just a matter of you have to go out and you have to do it. The Black Panther Party saw problems in their neighborhoods. It was just, originally, the Black Panther Party was just Bobby Seale and, uh, and Huey P. Newton. They saw issues in their community. They saw cops going around beating the fuck out of people. They saw cars barreling through intersections, mowing down grandmothers and little kids. So did they go down and did they beg City Hall for a, um, for a stop sign? No. They found a stop sign and they nailed it up to the post. And if you go to Oakland, California today, you'll still see uh, there's a historical marker there. This stoplight is here thanks to the Black Panther Party. So it's a series of stuff like that, tangible things that people can look at and touch. Oh, uh, the revolutionaries in concert working together with us, we now have a, a community center here. We now have a stoplight here. Our school was not closed because revolutionaries organized together with us. We have a grocery co-op here that sells us fruits and vegetables at cost. That's the type of shit that heightens people's confidence in the revolution. Very, very well put, my friend. Again, thank you so much. Um, Why do you call everybody? You know who else did that? Who? John McCain. Oh, ew. No, the fuck you didn't just compare me. Come on now. He did. Watch some of the the old debates from like from 2008 when he was running against Obama. He's like, my friend. I do, I do remember him doing that, yes. Um, Why do you you call everybody your friend? I developed it when I worked at Lowe's because I used to have, so I had earrings, I had a nose piercing, and I had my hair colored. And of course, working at Lowe's like that, everybody's just a dick to you. So I realized that most of those... Yeah, they were a dick to you. They either thought that you were some hipster or they thought that you were a queer person. Of course, they were a dick to you. Exactly. So I thought uh, the the funniest thing was when I was nice to these people and didn't really like I pretended I didn't understand their jokes. I pretended I didn't understand their attitude and it just pissed them off so much that they couldn't piss me off. So then I just started calling them my friend because on top of that, I don't like gendering people. They wanted me to call people ma'am and sir. So I found that my friend was close enough to being like, like proper that they would let me do that. And now it's just how I speak to everybody. But uh, I'm really upset that I've made the connection that you forced me to make the connection that John McCain used to do it too. So you, oh picked, God! So you picked it up as a passive aggressive thing, basically, just to make a bunch of assholes at Lowe's, you know, think that I don't know that they're assholes 
Yeah. It was, it's just mostly just a, a thing that I do now while I'm talking to people just to make them know that I, I also care about them. Like there's, there's more to it now, but that's where it all started. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I would call people comrade if that wasn't, you know, it, I, I couldn't imagine the reaction that uh, I would get if somebody like that heard me referring to someone as comrade in a scenario like Lowe's. So I, I guess there's other things I would prefer to call those people, but I would have lost my job then and there. Yeah, plus it, <laughs> plus it sounds, plus it sounds kind of larpy to just go around calling people comrade. <laughs> it does, but uh you i mean it's it's very funny how many people do actually do that um but yeah so you know speaking of you know like kind of not larping i guess um here in the u.s there's a bunch of uh kind of labor strikes that seem to be going on there's the united steel workers there's the frito-lay strike i believe there is now was it a Nabisco? Nabisco uh, company? Yeah. Or a, yeah. Like Frito Lay was on strike last month. Then you also have a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, smaller shops or like individual stores. Uh, for example, uh, just one store of a Family Dollar. Uh, you have a bunch of people that are just uh, saying "fuck this, work out, uh, we're leaving." Yeah, um, and what you know. What do you really make of this? Um, is this, you know, something that uh, I, I hate to ask the stupid question of is this good? I guess the better way to ask this is how do we begin organizing this energy? How do we meet with these people and how do we do something with the the rise in, in labor movements and demonstrations? What do we do about it? How do we do How do we uh, work with those? Yeah. How do we get with the people and how do we work together with them? Well, if you are <coughs> what I mentioned earlier, <coughs> um, if you are at a workplace where people are dissatisfied, you can capitalize on that. You can stretch that shit out there. And um, before you know it, you've got people ready to walk out, although it depends on how you play your cards and how well you're able to read people. Now, if there's something already happening, uh, chances are that uh, they have a contact. Something like that. Hit that contact up and be like, hey, I'm a worker too. I really like what you all are doing. I'm in solidarity with you all. Um, how can I come down and how can I help? It's, it starts by just offering help. It doesn't just start with telling people what they're doing wrong or anything like that. Offer help. And that's you know precisely the answer I, I, I was hoping you'd give because more often than not, just like we were talking about the LARPers who might walk around calling people comrade, it's a lot of LARPers on social media who all they have to offer is critiques of different movements, critiques of different uh, labor, you know, kind of uh, organizations, critiques of previous revolutionary struggles, and, and all of while, uh, you know, sitting on their asses. Um, and I, I, I really like your answer that we just need to offer help because that's what is lacking like we we are very good at saying solidarity or you know solidarity and love but very terrible at actually doing and building solidarity um 
and, and that kind of, you know, that, that finds its roots in a lot of different places. Um, but uh, I think that we were talking about the deep-seated individualism and just kind of, you know, other natural tendencies of, of capitalism to cause alienation and then the lack of the struggle through that obviously has led us to this point. Um, but I, I do think that it's incredible how few people really kind of get that notion of like, okay, your posts are getting a bunch of views on Twitter, but are, are you doing anything? You know, that's, that's kind of the low hanging fruit, but that does seem to be a big problem in the West. Would you say? <coughs> yes, because the West is full of assholes. So let's not dance around that and try to surgically disconnect. Why, uh, why people are, uh, choosing to show their ass on Twitter instead of uh, instead of actually build a movement, it's happening because people in the West seem to kick out of kicking people while they're down and mocking them and stuff like that. That is uh, that derives from individualism, and also a lot of people on the left seem to view things as a competition, and that's pretty reactionary. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say anything more than you just said. And it, it almost kind of screams of like, you know, kind of like colonial people all dancing around the struggles of others just saying like, well, you wouldn't be, you know, struggling so hard if you had done this, that and the third. Um, that's just kind of what it reads like to me. Um, but I also wanted to ask you um, kind of just going a different direction here. Um with like the massive heat wave that's been going through the West Coast um, and brought uh, that's kind of brought a lot of renewed concerns for those of us in the West who feel that climate change is a problem that the rest of the world has to deal with, um, along with other natural disasters, such as the two um, earthquakes in Haiti such as the massive rise in rain up here where I am, huge flooding events also in China and across the world. Um, how do you feel um, that we can connect the struggles of, you know, environmentalism, connect the struggles, for example, for uh, indigenous sovereignty and land back as well as Deco uh, decolonization how can we begin to connect these struggles um, to combat the incoming collapse of our earth uh, and kind of the people on it <laughs> hey, we gotta <coughs> we have to demonstrate how exactly these things are um, are connected like Amokar Cabral said um, we're not going to topple imperialism by yelling uh, insults at it we've been yelling insults at imperialism uh, for decades, and imperialism is, of course, it's a paper tiger. It's been battered by the wind and rain, but the wind and rain is not the U.S. It is the people of these various countries that the U.S. keeps attacking. The people of Afghanistan, they've been the wind and the rain. The people of Iraq, they've been the wind and the rain. The people of Cuba, they've been the wind and rain. What is the left of the United States doing to hold up our end of the bargain besides resharing people's uh, people's tweets and shit and uh, squabbling with each other? So you ask, how do we connect all of these uh, issues? Uh, we've already seen the devastating impact of climate change. The West Coast burns up every year. 
Like, if you go out there nowadays, you could, uh, it looks like the whole fucking sky is on fire. You're in New York. Y'all got a hurricane coming up there in New England pretty soon. Uh, Hurricane Henry, I believe it's called. New Orleans and the Gulf Coast still has to recover from Katrina. Uh, Miami, all of these cities on the coast, they're pretty much uh, write-offs. I'd hate to see how her insurance down there for the hurricanes and floods, but this shit is real. And we have to demonstrate that the people that are doing all this stuff have names and addresses, and they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. You know why? Because they're making billions of dollars off this stuff. Doesn't do anything. Your letter to their corporate headquarters doesn't do anything. Your petition doesn't do anything. These people do not understand anything but losing money and the threat of a gun being pointed at their head. It's really that simple. And a lot of people, they're afraid to act on this because they're scared. Uh, and there is no real revolutionary party in the United States. You've got PSL, you've got DSA, you've got all of these little bullshit toy parties that are basically just social clubs of rapists and weirdos. But in terms of a real uh, revolutionary party that is capable of doing what communists have been talking about for decades, uh, that doesn't exist. And it will only exist once, like you said, you combine all of these struggles into the struggle for communism. It will only come once we get all of these people that are spontaneously walking off their jobs to just actually start thinking about what are we going to do next. Okay, we walked off our job. Now what? There's dozens of other people in the same uh, in the same predicament in our town alone. What are we going to do about it? Let's coordinate with them. Let's set up meetings. Let's start pounding the pavement. Let's start talking to these people. That's what has to happen. That that's awesome, my friend. Very great way to put it. Um, and I think also, you know, <coughs> kind of connecting those those struggles it sounds like a, a hard habit but if you have a, a good enough grasp of capitalism you kind of made the point yourself that they're not going to stop if you have your grasp of capitalism you can explain why all these things are connected because you can explain that under capitalism it is rational to destroy the earth it is rational to exploit your labor force. It is rational to pass laws so that individuals and other organizations cannot combine their efforts to be able to uh, have any kind of mass power, such as like the Taft-Hartley Act and other awful uh, labor restrictions we have in the U.S. Uh, you know, the empire is itself, um, you know, has its own internal contradictions. And, and in that case, when we have an understanding and a full grasp of capitalism, we can point very easily to where it is that these people's problems are originating from. And ultimately, that's what we mean when we say connecting these points is being able to connect them to a central point of origin, which is capitalism, which is imperialism and which is the oppression of the people of the world. Um, so kind of with that in mind, um, you know, I think that there are quite a few different movements that are going on all across uh, the country. There's multiple different struggles that are being led, whether that be for transgender rights, whether that be for black liberation, whether that be for uh, prison abolition um, or what have you. Um, 
there are plenty of people who are angry. There are plenty of people who are even actively engaged in struggle. Um, are there any ways that you would advise that we try to build connections with people in these organizations or people already involved in these struggles? Like, do you find that emailing people is useful? Do you find trying to call them is useful? Best thing is to establish in-person contact. People, for example, my email is backed up to the tune of what's the email app on my phone? I have 91,245 unread messages. So, your email, unless I've gotten word that you're sending it, is going to be one, is going to be message 91,246 of the unread messages. Same thing, people generally don't pick up calls from people that they don't know. So the best thing is to actually introduce yourself to people. I know there's a lot of socially anxious commies out there that think that they'll melt into nothingness if they bother to talk to people. You said you've worked customer service, but I imagine it's not a, not a big deal for you. You're a pretty outgoing person. So the best thing is to actually go out and introduce yourself to people. Don't hide behind text messages or... Okay. Hey, uh, I want to work with you. Uh we have unity on certain, and I think that we can help each other. That's all. Yeah, I um, I think that a lot of folks, like you said, there's a lot of socially anxious commies out there. Um, I actually, you know, I do have social anxiety, believe it or not, but it it it, it because of my customer <laughs> service history i've been able to get to the point where i can fight quite a lot of that um and i think you know anybody who is worried about that the the best solution for that is starting small but actually actively practicing socializing because when you go out and you talk even even to go out with your friends to a public setting and just be in that public setting with your friends I found personally is a good way to start breaking down that fear you know i um especially since COVID, um, I have kind of started to redevelop a lot of my social anxieties. But I find that, you know, for example, if my partner is free from work, or if I can get a friend to go with me, I can do just about anything. I just need some kind of um, comfortability level. And then that will eventually make me more capable of going out and doing those things on my own. Um, I think a lot of us, because of the hellscape that we live in, um, you mentioned that a lot of us are cynical. I think a lot of us are cynical. I think a lot of us are, uh, you know, have an antipathy. They have apathy. I think a lot of people are feeling useless and feeling like there is nothing that can be done. But um, that's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And when we continue to allow ourselves to be pigeonholed, especially by our own selves, we are failing not only ourselves, but the people that we claim to want to help. So <clears throat> as hard as it is, I think you made a great point that it is important to build those in-person connections, whether that be with your neighbors, whether that be with uh, certain organizations in your area, or whether that be, you know, national organizations that have local chapters. Um, we should all be making efforts, you know, be safe because COVID, obviously get your vaccines, wear your mask, et cetera, if you can. But still 
COVID to houseless people to um, black, brown, and indigenous people is just another version of uh, struggle and oppression. So we have to take the precautions, but we can't let it stop us from building the revolution. Um, that's just a little point I wanted to make. Um, but you you mentioned that we don't want to like just you know walk up to people and just start spouting off uh, kind of you know communist lingo and hitting them with a bunch of revolutionary theory. Uh, we hit on earlier in the show why it is that you are a Maoist and why it is that you feel Maoism has the proper analysis for our given period in our revolutionary history. Um, what experiences have you had trying to teach others Maoism, whether they be regular workers, um, anarchists, Marxist-Leninists, or any of the above? What are some experiences that you've had trying to bring these ideas to people? The main thing is to take advantage of shit that people have already know or experienced in their, uh, in their real life. For example, a lot of uh, people that were in favor of Bernie Sanders, people like you, um, who saw Bernie get fucked over uh, twice, uh, they came to realize that, okay, this whole fucking thing is rigged. We tried with our guy. Uh, he got fucked twice. Well, as a matter of fact, he sold out twice. Um, but he he was never going to um, he was never going to deliver us the socialism. He did make pop make socialism a not dirty word to use again, but we have to be very clear on what or on the terminology that we use. Words mean things. For example, uh, if I take uh, if I grab one of my hats and say and put it on my head and say I've got a shoe on my head, you look at me like I like I'm nuts. Same thing. Uh, if we have a policy or a program that's essentially more free shit for white people in the United States and uh, lip service to the black liberation and Chicago liberation struggle. And we call that socialism. Uh, you should not be surprised when real communists look at you like you've got two heads. Words mean things. Um, so we have to be very clear about the terminology that we use. Socialism is the dictatorship of the proletariat, which can only be imposed through the violent overthrow of what currently exists. Any other definition is a revisionist reformist definition that cannot be allowed to stand. Now, in terms of my own personal success in teaching people Marx and teaching people Marxism, Leninism, Maoism, um, like I said, you have to expand the consciousness that people already have. Fred Hampton said this as well. Uh, the reason that I like Fred Hampton so much is because he used understandable uh, language. He didn't go out talking jargon. He didn't, you know, he even swore. And a lot of his um, and a lot of his recorded speeches and a lot of his written material, why he literally explained it because we see Marxists letting this cussing motherfuckers. That's how people in the community talk. That's how people in his community talk. He didn't get up to some rarefied uh, Marxist letting this Maoist poobah stage. He was still Fred Hampton uh, from Maywood, and. <coughs> That's what we have to keep in mind. Like, talk like yourself. Don't try to overawe people. Mao had uh, had many critiques of stereotype party language. He said that if you see somebody that's using a bunch of stereotype party language, using all of these 
expressions and phrases that nobody uses outside of the very small Marxism and the Maoist subculture, because that's essentially what the movement is. It's a subculture. Movements impact the lives of millions of people. Subcultures impact the lives of dozens and maybe hundreds. So, um, when you start acting like that, people are not going to trust you. Just like people don't trust the uh, the quacks that throw out medical terminology that they don't even understand the meaning of. It's very obvious that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about when you start throwing around words like dialectical materialism to defend China as it currently exists. Um, so you have to be real with people. You have to level with people. And you have to be like, hey, we know shit's fucked up. Here's what I personally think we could do about it. Here's what a very um, a very down person, a very intelligent person, a very intelligent party did to liberate the largest country on the face of the earth. This is what my parties that are founded in that tradition are doing today, currently, to try to topple and get out from under the same shit that we're up under. And then it goes from there. You can show people videos, people like videos, uh, podcasts, stuff like that. Rev Left Radio has been a really, really good resource for people, as has Dixie Hell yeah. As has Dixieland of the Proletariat. Uh, a lot of people even make references to my YouTube videos and my uh, writings. They like them because uh, I talk like I normally talk, like I'm talking to you, like I talk to anybody else. I don't put on airs for different sorts of people because, for one, that's phoniness. I hate phoniness. Like the way I'm talking to you now, this is how I talk in general body meetings with my org. So it's just a matter of uh, it's just a matter of how you behave and how you carry yourself in front of the people. And that is, you know, ultimately the one connection that I now have as a communist to what I was taught as a child, as an evangelical, which is you don't teach people through your words. You teach people through your actions. (laughs) You're a holy roller, huh? Yep, grew up uh, as white and Protestant as it gets uh, in a nice little small town where we were cornered off and the rest of the world didn't exist. That's a pretty typical American white upbringing. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm very thankful for all those in my life who have been able to, you know, help teach me things, who have been able to guide me in certain directions. And I'm also very thankful for those who came before me, the revolutionaries who have laid the path for you and myself and many others to learn from and to walk on ourselves. Um, You know, two very, very uh, important ones, obviously, being the Soviet Union Uh, and the Chinese uh, communist projects that uh, launched themselves at different periods of time. Um, And and I wanted to ask you, you know, are there any kind of, you know, here's the general question that most people hit you with, which is, are there any overt lessons or, you know, kind of general lessons to be learned from the struggles uh, in both the Soviet Union and China that we can take today? The main lesson from the struggles about the Soviet Union and China is that class struggle exists under socialism. And when I say class struggle exists under socialism, I'm not meaning that there's literal old school kulaks or old school landlords roaming around. Um, Most of the old kulaks are pretty much dead 
by the time that uh by by the time that Stalin had died. But when Mao taught that class struggle exists under socialism, it has to be carried out on behalf of the proletariat. He's meaning that socialism is a new thing. Capitalism has been in existence for hundreds of years. Imperialism has been in existence for hundreds of years. So it socialism comes into the world with that old imperialist capitalist soil. It's like a plant. You throw a plant in the ground, it grows and it withers or it does well depending on what soil you plant it in. You know, those of us in the United States have to pay particular attention to this because we are, like, our soil is as rotten as it comes. We had slavery here. We had theft of land and genocide. We had massacres of indigenous people. We had massacres of Chinese people. We had Japanese internment. We had thousands of lynchings. We have cops roaming around doing whatever the fuck they want. Our soil is as rotten as it comes. So any socialism here is going to come in to the world with all of that detritus hanging off of it like a pretty little Christmas tree. And we have to strip all of those shitty ornaments, those busted ornaments off that tree. Otherwise, it's going to weigh the tree down and the tree is going to rot. So class struggle under socialism means that the new bourgeoisie can come out of the party. Because it is very compelling for people to be like, hey, we've won. I'm entitled to my reward. I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this. I'm going to sit on my ass in my office at this factory. I'm going to slam the door in the worker's face. That's the job of the workers to work. I'm going to sit in here and do my paperwork. And I'm going to network with other party cadres and figure out how we can make a little bit of money for ourselves. That is how the new bourgeoisie rises from within the Communist Party. Because the Communist Party provides many of these administrators and stuff like that, the people that have the power in society, uh, practically, are Communist Party cadres. And if these cadres are not 100% accountable to the masses, you're going to end up with a, ruling, a new ruling class, just like in China and just like in the Soviet Union. So <laughs> then, do you feel like Maoism then gives us the spe- specific tools to give a concise analysis of these lessons in order to learn from that today? Yeah. And to hell with that analysis. We need to practice it. Like even within our organizations, if somebody's been around too long dictating things, you have to get you have to you have to make way for new people. A lot of people put primacy on analysis. No, practice. If you're in an organization, you have a laboratory right there to practice on. For example, we launched we launched a street newspaper in St. Louis called Freedom Talk. P, uh, why? Because one of our uh, one of our cadres was like, "Hey, this is a really good idea to help engage the masses in political discussion and organization." We want the masses writing for the street newspaper. We want the masses reading it. That is a program that came about as a result of one of our cadres' initiative, and it's working pretty well. Um, but. Yeah, Maoism offers the tools. I just gave you what I think personally is the most essential thesis of Maoism: the essential, uh, the essential, the, the the necessity of waging class struggle under socialism, and ensuring that two line struggle is cherished and carried out within the party. There's going to be a bourgeois line. There's going to be a proletarian revolutionary line. How can you differentiate between the two? The bourgeois line is that which, advertently or inadvertently. Uh, promotes the restoration of capitalist things, provision of bonuses for workers that uh, that work more than others. That's instituting competition. You want workers working together. 
friendly competition is good, but competition rewarded by long-lasting material benefits, no. The proletarian revolutionary line is that which combats what we know as bourgeois rights and which combats the ever-existing tendency to backslide and take the easy liberal way out. Proletarian revolutionary line is the line of struggle. It's the line that promotes struggling on down the road until we have communism in existence all over the world. Hell yeah. Um, that's, I mean, and you, you made the point and I would like to finish, you know, that with the point that's saying that means by practicing, not, 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 <laughs> not by, uh, you know, like you were saying, just coming to analysis or writing or reading, but, but by action. Now, of course, those things fall in to action if you're doing other things, but not simply those things. Um, so I, I, I don't really have any other questions surrounding that, but I do have some questions surrounding uh, you in particular. Um, so just real quick, uh, switching gears here. You recently switched from YouTube to, to podcasting. Uh, I wanted to ask you, is there any reason why? And did you maybe want to talk about your podcast a little bit more? Sure, Radio Free New Africa, uh, sort of music slash news slash commentary thing. I like podcasting because it's easier, and um, like it takes quite a bit. I just didn't want to just in front of a YouTube camera. That uh, shit gets old after a while. Um, plus, it, it was too individualistic. I just didn't, just didn't think it was a really good medium. Very cool, my friend. Um, so then I also <laughs> say again. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna just stop all of a sudden. It it is a long term habit. <laughs> um, so so can I ask you one last thing before I let you go? Then sure. So how is it? that you keep yourself motivated and active and ready to go every single day? I think of the body of Mike Brown Jr. laying in the middle of the street for four hours. And I would like to give my life to building a society in which such a horrible, atrocious thing does not happen ever again. I think of my grandmother having to leave school at 12 years old to go work in a fucking cotton field to make some white asshole named William Bradford Jr. rich. I look at Malcolm X getting shot down. I look at Martin Luther King getting shot down. I look at Eric Gardner being choked to death for selling fucking cigarettes. My people in Africa who are being bled dry by capitalism and imperialism. I look at my Chicano brothers and sisters who are being denied access to their own ancestral lands by a thief of a country that stole it away from them through bloody war and treachery. That's how I keep myself motivated. I look at the millions of black people in Mississippi and Louisiana and Alabama that are, that are suffering because chemical factories have plopped, uh, have been looting their, um, their surroundings for decades. And now there's entire black uh, populated areas that are known as Cancer Alley. I look at Detroit. I look at St. Louis where I live how a street can differentiate uh, between 20 years of life expectancy 
and whether or not one goes to college. I want everybody to have free housing, free food, and everything else that's necessary to live a free, happy, productive life. That's what I want. That's all. Unfortunately, since I'm going to give this thing, give us these things, we're going to have to spill a little bit of blood. And by a little bit, I mean oceans of blood. But it's worth it. In comparison to the many, many more oceans of blood that will be uh, <laughs> bled otherwise. Um, so then kind of in closing, is there anything you would like to say, anything you'd like to ask me or anything you'd like to plug before I let you go? All power to the people and free all political prisoners at home and abroad. Very glad to have you on my friend. Oh, geez. I, I even heard it as it was coming out of my mouth. Very good to have you on. Uh, thanks so much. I really do appreciate you coming on and letting me talk to you. So um, I hope you have a great rest of your night, and uh, I'll be talking with you soon. No problem, friend. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.